so pretty much Anna, the way this works, we, we fuck around until we feel like till we till feel we like starting, until we hit something and yeah. start. Yeah. We we wade through muddy waters blindfolded <laughs> until we find something. Welcome to Honest Enough, an ongoing conversation about ethics, context, and modern living. I'm Alex. I'm Brian. Edgar couldn't join us today, but we do have a very special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Anna French in the house. Say hi, Anna. Hi, guys. Anna and I have known each other for a while. She's been friends with my sister, Laura, okay. for many, many years. How long have you known Laura? Since we were 12. Since so. we were 12. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's been a long time. Anna is the founder and creative force behind the Spin the Globe project. Anna, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? So I am a nomadic digital storyteller, um, which basically just means that I um, have a travel blog and I vlog on YouTube about my my travels and my life living in a van. Am I right in saying this is a fully sustainable van? I would describe it as attempting to be sustainable. I'm trying to lower my carbon footprint as much as possible, but it still obviously runs on gas. Um, but I have solar panels, so all my um, electrical appliances and needs are run on solar. And it is flex fuel, so I do sometimes fill up on ethanol instead of regular. Wait, you call this thing Casper, right? That's yeah. the name of your Casper's van? Casper's the name of the van. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like when you first got it, and like what modifications have you done to it to, to bring it up to speed for your nomadic lifestyle? So I bought it as a cargo van. It was a Ford Transit two, 2016 low-top. 250, um, 130 inch wheelbase. And it was completely empty. It had been a U-Haul previously and it had about 18,000 miles on it. And so, um, I just kind of took that and ran with it. My mom and I built out sort of a first version, um, very quickly, very cheaply took cost about $3,500 for that build. And then I was living in that for a while. Um, but quickly realized I would like to be able to stand up in my home (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's a fair thing And so you want. cut a hole in the roof, so right? I, yeah, so I did not personally cut a hole in my roof, but I had a company um, in California um, called Fibrine cut the hole in the roof. And oh, they, you actually did? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, they cut a hole in the roof. <laughs> you thought she was kidding. <laughs> I thought I was funny. <laughs> and then they installed like a fiberglass um, high top on it. So it's like two extra feet tall now. So awesome. I can stand all kinds of room for activities. Sweet. How, how did you learn? So I guess your mom was probably pretty handy because you said she was helping you out. Um, do, are you this, this type of family where you do these types of things? Um, we're definitely an adventurous family. We've never done like carpentry projects <laughs> before this, but um, yeah, we had a lot of help. I mean, we had a neighbor, my mom had a neighbor that was a retired like architect. Um, so He had a workshop, which was great for the space and the tools and just sort of the knowledge that he brought to it. Um, So that helped a lot. But no, it was very much like an amateur uh, (laughs) project. (laughs) When was this? When you first put it together? Uh, We first put it together the summer of 2017. Okay. So a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. Have you learned a lot in, in the process, tricking it out ever since? Yeah, definitely. I've learned a lot. Um, I've learned that I probably never want to build a van again. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, I learned a lot. It was cool to learn how to use power tools and um, a table saw and things like that. So, Cool. And now this is like you're, you 100% live in this van 100% yes. of the year. Yep. I live in the van full time now. I'm just traveling across the country. 
Cool. How long have you been doing that? Um, so two years, like on and off, but about seven months total full time. And then this Holy time God. I took off um, end of March. So I've been in it full time since March. Oh, wow. What possessed you to uh, take on this lifestyle? <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> hmm. I mean, I was traveling a lot for work. I worked in international development um, prior to this. So I was living in um, various countries. I lived in Tanzania for a while, working for a nonprofit there. I lived in Australia, South America, um, and then eventually landed in New York working for an international nonprofit um, here where we're recording now. And I guess I just, I got a little fed up with the nonprofit sector, but I wanted to keep traveling. So I had already been travel blogging as a hobby and I just figured I needed to come up with a way to travel, make money, and have freedom and be able to hike. I just made a list of all the things I like doing and like all of the skills I have. And then I tried to see how I could combine all of that and make this all into one lifestyle that would also be able to create a living to sustain it. I wish I had the guts to do any of Like I basically, <laughs> <laughs> like when I was creating a checklist for what, I, what job I was looking for, it's like, okay, like... Uh, Work from home, (laughs) (laughs) pay student loans, and have extra money left over. (laughs) So uh, on that topic, how do you make money as a nomad? Yeah, so I have a couple different income streams, and I've by no means, like, perfected, like, any kind of get-rich-quick scheme, but I definitely... (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. That's why we wanted you. (laughs) I've definitely figured out how to uh, make enough money to sustain the lifestyle, which, again, is a lot cheaper than like my old lifestyle because I don't have to pay for rent, which was my biggest expense. Um, So that all being said, basically I make money. Probably my biggest income stream is through YouTube ads. So I'm a YouTuber and then um, affiliate marketing on my blog and sponsorships, partnerships all through the blog, through my Instagram. And then I have one main ongoing freelance client that I do like social media management and content creation for. So you became a content creator but I from what you said like in your international um it, it for the nonprofit you used to work for it didn't sound like you were doing content creation nope so you just kind of hit the ground running with it just a girl Learned with, a, with I, a dream yep <laughs> girl with a dream a lady with a dream yeah just figured it out as I went that's but awesome I had no idea what I was doing when I started what, did, so did you grow so <laughs> I grew up in a house where like you're I was always told like that whatever you want to do is stupid or something <laughs> Did you grow up in like a really supportive household where like people told you that you would, you could achieve whatever you wanted? Kind <laughs> of. You like my mom was always like, you could achieve anything you want to do as long as it's like these very, you know, ambitious things. Like she was like, you could be the first female president okay. and like things like that. But if I, I always wanted to be a writer from the time I was like a little girl and she'd be like, yeah, okay. But like after you go to school for like very practical things, then you like, become a doctor and yeah. then you can write on the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, Yeah, I mean, I had support, but it was also like, sure, yeah, like once you do everything you're supposed to do, then you can pursue those things. Mm. How do they, how do they take what you do now? Um, My mom's extremely supportive now, which I kind of did what she wanted, though. Like I kind of went the very practical route. Like I studied sustainability, global health and international development, Um, you know, did five years like in the industry working and. So I think by the, by the time I was like, Mom, I'm going to quit my job and I'm just going to live in a van and try and figure it all out as I go, she was like, okay, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I actually kind of want to get into more of your life, Anna. Um, 
What is it like on your van trips around the country that you do? Do you just travel around or like do you have projects to do when you reach a destination? Yeah, I mean, I, I really make it up as I go. Like I set out with a plan and then every time I do set out with a plan, like it just like goes to shit like right away. So I've <laughs> tried to stop planning. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do a lot of hiking. I'm just filming everything. So I'm kind of creating content all the time. But I, I visit a lot of national parks. I, I My route right now is being planned around like visiting friends and family. So it's kind of just been very random. I was like in Montana and then I, I like went this route up Colorado through Wyoming to Montana, then shot over to Maine, started doing upstate New York, head down oh, wow. here. Now I'm going to hit like Georgia, Florida, and then just um, going full go circle. south. Yeah. So just kind of, yeah, go around the whole country. Um, Cause most people living in a van live on the west part of the country. Uh, also, a lot of people live in a van. I don't know if you guys know this, but like I really am like pretty ignorant on yeah. this whole topic. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I get like a bunch of recommended YouTube videos about that, and like I see people pimping out their vans and their or their buses, whatever yeah. it is, and it looks kind of cool, honestly. But it just yeah. seems so difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely hard and it's not for everyone, but I read an article recently that was saying like about a million, an estimated a million people in the United States live in like some form of like mobile home and are traveling. Full time? Yeah, full time. Holy crap. So it's a pretty big population and yeah, that's enormous. It's not a lot on the East Coast though. So I've been struggling um, with just finding like free camping spots. It's mostly I've been parked at like trailheads or rest areas. Right. Um, it's probably because there aren't as many national parks around here. Yeah, exactly. So I left my van. It's not in the city. I left it in upstate. So. Okay. Yeah. I was actually imagining you parking on like uh, near Grand Central and I'm like, that's <laughs> yeah, probably I, I actually wanted to ask where it is right now. <laughs> I kind of wanted to check it out if I could. Yeah. There was, I, I'm really glad I didn't bring it in the city because <laughs> just looking at like the street parking, I don't think that would have gone well. Where did you, where did you say it was? It is? In Warwick. Where's Warwick? It's like an hour north of Penn Station. Okay. I don't know. I took an hour long train to get in. So. Oh, wow. Wait, you came. So you came into New York City just for this podcast today? No, no, I've been. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cruel and unusual. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh God, I'm sorry. <laughs> Better make it good, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. No, I'm visiting. I'm staying with a friend in Brooklyn, and I've been here since Monday. So I'm leaving tomorrow morning. Oh so. really? Oh, okay. Wow. Did um and you lived here for how long? About two years. So how weird is it to leave and come back? It's been pretty crazy because I'm either like 24-7, like in nature, hiking, like in the wilderness, um, and or just like crammed in my van. Um, I say crammed, but it's cozy. Um, but yeah, when I got off at Penn Station, I just had so much like culture shock, even though I've lived here before, <laughs> like really forgot just how many people it is and how it feels to be in a space with that many people. And I kind of panicked. I was like walking around in circles for a while before I like got reoriented. <laughs> but yeah, after being here, so it's like what, four or five days now. Um, it was a little better, like coming in to meet you guys here today felt, felt okay. Could you live here again? Maybe in Brooklyn. <laughs> Mid Midtown Manhattan, particularly Grand Central or mm -hmm. Penn Station, yeah. are basically hell on earth. Oh. Like it's oh yeah. And Grand Central, every time I walk in Grand Central, I'm like, wow, like this is a beautiful place. But then I'm immediately bumped into by somebody who's like <laughs> taking a picture of someone on the stairs or something, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah I hate it. This yeah, you just got to come back at like two a.m. Right. Yeah. When it's completely <laughs> empty. Well, yeah, it's, nice. it's gorgeous when it's yeah. <laughs> two a.m. Yeah. When you're out on the road. 
doing your thing. Um, I mean, I imagine it could be a little scary out there too. M- maybe not to you, but like I, I'm su- extremely intimidated by what you're describing. It sounds very free and awesome and adventurous. It, it also makes me have like a mini panic attack imagining it. Like, was there an adjustment period in your van life? I guess in the beginning, I thought that too. I thought it was going to be really scary. I was terrified. I was almost convinced that I couldn't do it and I wouldn't do it up until the day that I did it. So I'm like building out the van and everything. And then even the day I took off, I was like, no, I can't do this. Like, this isn't going to work. I'm, I'm Why terrified. was I doing this? Yeah, like, do this, this is a really weird Just idea I had. <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, I got to my campground. I purposely, so, yeah, I guess there was an adjustment period because I purposely, like, my first week I paid for campgrounds and they were, like, very crowded. So it didn't feel like this, like I was going out into the middle of nowhere um, right away um, just to get a little bit comfortable sleeping in the van. Um, and knowing, you know, I'm kind of in like a safe area. And then by week two, I was like off in the middle of nowhere and it was awesome. And I didn't even give thought to anything like to danger. I mean, have you, so Brian, have you been to Arizona or like out in the Southwest at all? I've been in the airport. Okay. On so the way to California. I've, ne- there's nothing darker than like, uh, so the way Arizona is set up, it's basically like clusters of cities and then surrounded by just gaps of nothingness. Just that's, land. That's just how most desert. of the south, uh, Southwest is. Yeah. It's Sounds. like massive amounts of desert. And then you'll see like six cities all nestled together pretty much. And when you're in that in-between place, like it's like you can't see anything. There's no like streetlights. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing but like the night sky. Just but horizon. Just, hor- <laughs> just I don't even think you could see the horizon. Yeah. It's just pitch black everywhere oh you look. God. And, you know, the odd... Uh, uh, rattle tail or something rattle, going rattle off. Snake. Rattlesnake. <laughs> no, well, I'm imagining the, the, the tail going off. You know, one of them rattle tails. <laughs> Is that what you guys call it? No. <laughs> uh, or like a guy. <laughs> <What do you laughs> but like, it's, it's, it's pretty intimidating. But no, I could also that. imagine uh, reaching a point where you're like, where it actually becomes calming. I just, it, I feel like there'd be this huge adjustment period and, and then you'd get to appreciate like the beauty of that solitude. Yeah. I mean, t- there's this weird like middle ground and fine line between like I love being in a space where I'm the only one but if there's like one other person I feel weird oh same but if there's like two or three then I feel okay right yeah you don't want to be you don't want one stranger Mm. right (laughs) that's creepy especially if it's some dude right (laughs) that's extra creepy right it does get and I I listen to my intuition because there's been a few times where I've like parked somewhere for the night and then like one person will like one dude will pull up and I'm like "Mm, no and then I'll just leave keep driving keep driving we should all trust our gut when it comes to danger yeah especially in a situation like that where there's you can't call 911 in the situations you're describing Anna like what would who would come it would take like 30 minutes for you know some sheriff deputy to show up or something like that you have no backup I assume you don't well hold on do you drive with a gun I don't know no (laughs) she drives with a pea shooter (laughs) I I have like um, things to defend myself okay she's leaving it vague and that's fine that's her right (laughs) as an American but uh, yeah I mean it's it's just you. Well, something I do want to point out here for anyone interested in driving in a van, but also wants to stay safe, especially as like a solo female. Um, I have this device. It's called a spot, but they also have like a more expensive version that Garmin makes called an inReach, but it's essentially like a satellite emergency um, device where you press like this SOS button and then the closest emergency services immediately comes to your GPS coordinates. That's great. Oh, nice. So if you're out of cell range, it's like, it's just a nice peace of mind. Is that's, that like pretty common amongst the 
Van. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people who like hike Folk. by themselves yeah. too, or do any kind of like adventure activities where you could get hurt, but you're alone. Like it's, right. yeah, I highly recommend it. That's cool. Is, is there any other tech like that that you would recommend to someone who's like th- that like helps uh, with the peace of mind factor? Um, what else? I have this really cool. I think it's called Novo. I don't remember the name of the brand right now, but it's this like sort of lithium battery that's like the size of like your iPhone and it can jump start your vehicle. Um, like if you get into a bind, but it's super small and compact and holds like multiple charges to jump start wow. your car. Um, tell us about your, uh, your toilet, <laughs> my toilet situation. Okay. My I, most I, I did, common question. Okay. I have seen this on Instagram and I was like, I, I, w- I almost don't want to go there, but I actually love talking about my toilet. Please, please <laughs> tell us about Casper's toilet. I've, I've seen a different, I've seen a toilet on like a van type car and, uh, you can describe yours first and I'll let you know what I've seen, see okay. if it matches up. Okay. Well, I will say that the first build I had, um, I literally just had a five gallon bucket with like a toilet seat on top. And then I'd put like a garbage bag in there, toss in some kitty litter, um, for odor and then <laughs> <laughs> just dump that every day or so. But my toilet now, or so, or so, <laughs> yeah. or so you know, whatever it's a lot going works on. for you. <laughs> Um, my toilet now is a nature's head composting toilet. Um, it is kind of expensive. I, like you can kind of make them for cheaper if, if you're inclined, but the premise behind it is that you, it never smells because your solid and liquid waste never meet. So there's a separate compartment for solid and liquid and, um, the solid you kind of just mix with compost as if you were going to be gardening. Um, so it's, I use coconut fiber and water and then, um, Basically, that lasts for me using it by myself about two months. I don't have to change it in, oh, for like oh, every wow. two months. I, w- I would have thought it was like a week or something. That's that's really sustainable. Yeah, that's great. if that. Yeah. That being said, like whenever there's a gas station, I like do use the restroom there. So, mm. but still. And then the liquid, I change like once a week. And mm. that one's a little funny because I have to basically, it's like a, a jug that's, I don't know, a couple gallons big. And I have to like put it in a tote to disguise it and like bring it into a gas station <laughs> and dump it in the toilet. So you're, you're smuggling human waste. I into smuggle <laughs> my urine into gas stations. Yes. Well, Hey, people have done worse things at gas stations. <laughs> oh yeah. By the way, the thing I saw was, uh, someone just put like a toilet seat over like where the hitch of a car would be. Okay. Like in the back. And that's it. They would just like hang so over the edge. Go on the ground. Just, like, okay, <laughs> so okay. just pollution. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just, okay. But I guess that's like a no go. Like you shouldn't just do that on the dirt. Or it should be fine. Wait, right? what? <laughs> this is the, you're talking about a road though, not the dirt. Sure, yeah, but you could like pull over on the side and Yeah, just, like, like you're camping on oh, dirt. Oh, yeah. oh, sorry. I thought you meant dumping it on the Okay. Go on. Not like just pour <laughs> a five gallon bucket of human waste on the ground. Yeah. That yeah. that'd be pretty gross. I that, would imagine. That that would be gross, yes. I agree. Yeah. Dear listener, please don't <laughs> dump out a five gallon bucket of human waste on the ground. <laughs> Keep America beautiful. <laughs> you grew up as an army brat. Is yes. that correct? Yeah. So my mom was in the army, so we moved around a lot. I was actually born in Germany. She was stationed there uh, for a few years. And then yeah, we kind of hopped all over the US, but spent most of my time in Arizona. Wow. Was it do you think that sowed your nomadic roots moving around as an army brat? Definitely. I don't think it not, I think it not only like sowed 
like solidified the roots that I had, but it also created something in me where I almost like need to move all the time, especially in like six month, one year increments, which is how often we moved. (laughs) So now every six months or so, I have like this internal clock that starts to get really anxious and bored. I feel like a a therapist (laughs) could figure that out in two seconds. (laughs) Uh, So when when your mom was in the military, what, what did she do? What was her role? So she had many roles, but she was usually in sort of the medical field. So she started off as like a medic and then became a nurse, then became a medevac helicopter pilot. And then... So a pilot and a, and a medic. Yes. That's, a, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did she fly? How many years she, do you think she, she flew for? Ooh. Um, maybe like 10, 10 years wow. or so. Damn. She she flew during like Desert Storm, but not in. She flew in Germany. She was there when like the wall came down, and um, they were kind of there more for like Cold War type of stuff. Okay, like uh, perimeter defense type. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, just in case anything went down, they those, were there. Those Russians come over. Yeah. <laughs> so she was never deployed to combat. Um, she did do a tour in Afghanistan, but that was in like two thousand nine. The year she was in Afghanistan was really rough because we would Skype and in the middle of like a Skype conversation, it would just get cut off and there'd be like a bomb in the background and then we'd get cut off. And then we, I wouldn't, yeah. (laughs) And then I wouldn't hear from her for 24 hours. And that's basically because I don't know if everyone knows this, but nobody knows anything about (laughs) it. Are are you allowed to tell us this? Yeah, I'm allowed to tell you this. (laughs) I think. (laughs) So basically, um, when that happens, like when family or when people are on a base um, communicating with their family and any sort of attack happens, they immediately, even if it's not that the bomb necessarily um, took out the power, but they cut the power because just in case someone died, they don't want that news to get to the family in any way other than like the officers coming to the door. Got it. Yeah, I I thought you were going to say that like uh, they didn't want like knowledge of which base got bombed or something like that going up, but it's nice to know that it's actually like a kind of a humanitarian purpose of like, well, you know, we want like the right way to be delivered mm-hmm. and not, you know, just haphazardly while watching, you know, your loved one blow up or yeah. bleed out in some situation like that. That's, right. that's intense. That's intense. Yeah. My dad's a pediatrician. Nothing like this ever <laughs> happened. Brian, your family ever in any <laughs> my, danger? My dad's a baker. <laughs> <laughs> any baking fires or anything like that? No. Just makes too much cake sometimes, so <laughs> risk of diabetes or something like that. Yeah. Um, and your mom is now running for office. Is that right? Yes. She is running for Arizona State Senate. So she ran in 2018 for um, Arizona State House in a very rural district that has never had a Democrat in that seat. Um, so she, And she's running as a Democrat, so obviously it was kind of... Um, tough from the start, but because of her veteran background, um, she did come very close. She only lost by 577 votes, so she's now running again wow. for state senate this time. That's great. Is this, um, is that Maricopa? No. So it's like central and northern Arizona, so it includes places like Flagstaff, Sedona, oh, okay. um, Payson are the biggest uh, towns. The prettiest parts of Arizona. There you um, go. <laughs> Sedona's great. Okay, I thought she was running in Arpaio country, and I was about to say like no. that's it's a really uphill climb. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's an uphill climb all uphill over climb. Arizona. Yeah, but that's crazy. I mean, like it's one of those things that I think the only people that could unseat a candidate in that type of race is someone with like a military service record. Like if you're a, a Democrat or a liberal, 
candidate and you have this, you know, 10 years as a pilot, you know, however many years before that, uh, they can't really throw the whole like, oh, you're just like some limp-wristed liberal argument. Like that doesn't really, yeah, (laughs) yeah, you're not just a (laughs) libtard. You're talking to a service member and like someone who, you know, flew in Afghanistan and everything. It's, it's one of those things that I think we need more of. Yeah. And luckily there are a few kind of uh, startup like um, organizations that have began since kind of Trump got elected that are aiming to sort of recruit veterans to run, to get into politics, especially like progressive veterans and Uh. progressive women, female veterans. So hopefully we'll see more of that in this next election. What is the, what is one of the names of the organizations? Uh, Vote Vets is one of them. Um, Ooh, there's a congressman. What is his name? He's, I think he's a presidential candidate now. He started a nonprofit that I'm totally blinking on the name of right now but um i think he was a colonel when he retired but he is currently a congressman and then he started a nonprofit because he had the veteran background just to recruit um other veterans other veterans and they yeah they help fund their campaigns too so and you've you've been through south and central america yes. too i guess I, you've been to guatemala yes cool. I, I visited your aunt when i was there did you go to atitlan Atitlan's like those, um, it's those three mountains with the lake uh, in front of them. It's like this kind of spiritual place that people no, go to. No, I didn't go there. Yeah. I climbed Akatanango Volcano, which was near Antigua. I have not gone on that one. Um, Is that an the active one? Capital. It's active. It's right next to Fuego, the one that just erupted. Oh, that one I, That one I've been up. It was, cons- I, no, no. Agua was the one that I. I bet you have been up Akatanango because y- you see Fuego. It's from, from Guatemala City? I left from Antigua. Okay. It, it gets kind of blurry, but yeah. yeah I, it, those <laughs> are a lot of trips where I've been in like some bus or van or something. And yeah. I, I'm not I can't really, even remember I'm which really volcano GPS-ing. I've been up. Well, I mean, everything's a volcano over there. That's true. Everything <laughs> is a volcano. You're always going uphill somehow. Yeah. Stab Andes. No, not the Andes. Just Guatemala no, Mountains. Yeah. Um, when you were in Central America, did you get to eat uh, guinea pig? Uh, well, when I was living in Peru, I lived right over at Cuiria, which is like uh where in peru were you uh cusco okay uh i lived there for nine months but yeah so i did try guinea pig once because i felt as though i always like to try like the cultural dishes but they love it there they do yeah. love it there it was not i don't don't recommend it i d- i kind of dug it you but like I, it? I imagine there's like different versions of it and like people make it in different ways but like i remember being like on like a rotisserie th- no it um, was it was uh was it pickled and stewed? It was like grilled, uh, like yeah, yeah. cuts of uh, yeah. It was like little. Oh, like, so you didn't see the full guinea pig? N- no, no, I I did see it, but what was actually brought to me on a plate because they have it's like the same type of thing where they display it on this on the spit and stuff, and there's different ways that they make it. Right. This was in Ecuador actually. Okay. And then you know what I ordered was like a grilled version of it, and they brought a grill. It was like chicken you know it's like not that bad so but you didn't have to eat it looking at its eyes not even close okay i i lived there for three months or in Cusco? two and a half trujillo it's like a coastal Where? town okay west like what were you doing there um i was building a wind turbine for a guinness world record the highest altitude what the wind fuck? you've never talked that about this before very oh, cool. yeah. you should lead with that oh yeah always yeah. hey i'm brian <laughs> I, I have a guinness world record <laughs> that i got in peru i think i've known you for three and a half years i do not have never oh, heard yeah. this story really? before two different podcasts and i've never heard oh, you wow. tell this story three yeah years, three years so, wow yeah i built a for built the fastest did you say or what was highest the, altitude highest altitude it okay. was on top of a mountain um you built it 
on the mountain the or mountain. you built it and then transported it? Oh, we built it and then transported the parts and then assembled it on the mountain. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. I forget the name of the mountain now. Though. Is that like on your Instagram bio or something? No. It was on my, it was on a bunch of my dating profiles. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's, yeah, you got it. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was there when, so this like mountain that we built it on top of had like this small community and they were having like this festival where they like kind of play with guinea pigs and they dress them up in like kind of outfits like with a little cowboy hat and like a tutu and things like that and you could play with them but then at the end of it you like kind of pick your favorite one to eat to eat oh no and like i was like wait did i just play with this yeah I'm like yeah you did your new friend is <laughs> yeah your meal oh it was good though <laughs> oh so all right so yeah. Okay. What, so we, we are sitting here at a table with three people that have had camping yeah. for completely different reasons. <laughs> and one of us is trying to beat a world record. <laughs> it's amazing. No, but yep. you did beat it. You got yeah, the Yeah, we got it. Yeah. Oh. Oh. All right. We got a okay. certificate. A certificate. Mm-hmm. It's just a piece of paper. There's like is it framed? Did you frame I it? I lost it. <laughs> you lost your Guinness World Record yeah, certificate. Yeah, I don't know where it is now. I'm sure you could reach out to them. To oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe I'll do that tonight. Put that on your to-do list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have you worked on any like sustainability projects or like? Kind of. So sustainability is like such a broad word and it's annoying because I literally got my bachelor's degree in it mm-hmm. um, at the time thinking like this is the up and coming. It's like such a buzzword. Um, but yeah, my very first job like in college was like an internship at Dell where I was a sustainability assistant. And one of my projects was to find like solutions for cancer clusters in China, actually. Um, and awful place. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. But I mean, some other projects. Okay. So some of the nonprofits I worked for were pretty holistic. So they would do like the one I worked for, um, in Tanzania, like was, essentially located on a farm, which they created into like a permaculture farm so that it would be self-sustaining and they'd be able to sell some of the crops that they got to pay for um, the children's education that were in like the refuge there. Um, And there was also sort of a farm to table restaurant that they would use to help fund the organization as well. So those were some cool examples of like sustainable projects Mm -hmm. um, that I saw that were incorporating sort of uh, the environmental aspect and the societal aspect of sustainability. Um, what else? I actually, when I was in Central America last summer, I was filming an ecotourism documentary, which is not completed. I'm still in the editing process, but the whole premise was I wanted to explore kind of what ecotourism means in Central America because it's such a hub for it, especially like Costa Rica. And it's something different to everyone. And that's kind of what I was uncovering Mm -hmm. there. But I also wanted to explore how much people are sort of companies are exploiting the term. Yeah. And it's a- anything good will eventually be cap. Anything good and popular will eventually be capitalized by some company. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of like tours there that will just throw the word eco tour on themselves, but there has nothing to do with helping the environment or like lowering their footprint. Right. Um, it's just it like could be like driving a jeep through the jungle. Right. They're like, oh, we're going. Let me, let me cut this tree down because it's in my way <laughs> with my machete. Right. Yeah. It's getting in the way of my eco tour. <laughs> 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 but but, but Co- Co- Costa Rica is like 
really great about this, right? Like I, I've even heard that like uh, people reuse like beer bottles in Costa Rica. Like it's like oh, yeah. an extremely. That's actually something that's common though. Like they do that in a lot of countries, but they don't know how to market that they're doing that. So well, we Costa used to Rica do that here. Top, yeah. Like not just beer, but like. Oh, that's true. Milk. Yeah. yeah. Soda. All kinds of bottles, cans, yeah. everything. Guys, recycle, please. Yeah. Well, China stopped taking our recycling, so. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> write China a letter. <laughs> I mean, it's got to go somewhere, right? <laughs> I see, I was under the, I, before What's the next I, biggest country? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we can be optimistic. There's about hope. It. There's, There's hope. hope. So sustainability now for you, just more about like a lifestyle and do you like try to teach people about it or are you just. Yeah, I think I aim to, cause it can be kind of easy to get lost in when I'm living in a van, just like lost in my own world, like disconnecting from society and just being like, okay, screw everyone else. Like the world's going to shit, but I'm cool over here in my van. <laughs> So I, <laughs> I'm having a spiritual awakening here. <laughs> but I, so I try to always make sure everything I'm promoting is I only partner with organizations and companies and brands that are sustainable, like through every step. So where they're getting their materials from for their products, their packaging, if they're giving some of their money back, um, you know, to a cause that um, I think is worthy. So I try to make sure like every element of the the brands I work with is sustainable and ethical and then also just yeah through my blog and and through my social media platforms i always try to emphasize like minimalism and zero waste and just kind of sustainable lifestyle practices that i've tried to incorporate it in, into my life that's awesome so i this is nowhere on near on your level but uh like four or five years ago i i kind of made this resolution that i would never litter again but like, I'm not going to pretend that I just go around like Johnny Appleseed, like, like fixing the <laughs> land or anything like that. But, yeah. but you know, I pick up a lot of trash. Do you? Yeah. Not, you, not like in the city, but if I'm hiking on a trail, oh, okay, we, yeah. I always find trash. That's a great, I, so I do up. that too. Yeah. That's a great place to pick up yeah. trash. It shouldn't be there. Yeah. Yeah. And I've yelled at a few people for like putting, like throwing their cigarettes out their car, or just like oh, walking really? and like throwing their cigarette out. I've yelled at a few people for that. Have they ever come back to pick it up? So, but I told them. <laughs> you, you've you've both met my girlfriend Camille. Yes. Um, when we first met, she she is a smoker. She she hand rolls, which is slightly better, but not much. Um, when we first met, just constantly finish the cigarette, throw on the ground, finish the cigarette, throw on the ground. And at one point, I like expressed how like I didn't like that she did that. And then the next day, she showed up with this little bottle. And when she would finish her cigarette, she would put it out in this little bottle. Oh. And I mean. Guys, this so is the, you're saving the planet. This is the One nastiest bottle in the history of the world. It's like, <laughs> like I'm saying, it's not pretty, but that's the most romantic shit I've ever seen in my entire life. It's the sweetest, <laughs> most disgusting. Yeah. Bottle it, oh no, that bottle is in the world. Disgusting because it's filled with hand roll, half smoking cigarettes, but and then she'll the throw them. Yeah, and then yeah. right, that's the symbol of our love is an overflowing little glass vial this that looks like, looks a like metaphor. And, and because they're hand rolled, it just looks like it's filled with like discarded joints, basically. So it's like the nastiest <laughs> thing in the world. And then she'll like come home, and then she'll have like a bottle full of these things and throw them out in our collective trash can, and then I just have like thirty finished hand rolled cigarettes in the trash can it smells awful and I'm like that's the smell of love <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on like tiny homes Ooh, oh because <laughs> yeah honestly like I watch a lot of I watch a lot of YouTube like I don't have TV and a lot like, of tiny home channels oh my god mm -hmm. have you seen the ones that uh, 
that you you like push a button and they like double. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like I don't know the word for the it, sides. but that that to me is like a game changer. The idea oh, yeah. of like it being able to accommodate, you know, so it shrinks for travel and then mm-hmm. expands when you're set. I've mm-hmm. seen some like RVs for like recording or like film mm-hmm. filming production and all that, and like they have those, I I guess like modules that just like expand that sideways. Yeah, 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 yeah. So those I've seen a lot of those on the cool. road. Um, the RVs, not yeah. those expanding tiny homes. But yeah, tiny homes are like an obsession of mine. It's my dream. It's my long-term goal. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you trying to build one? Yeah. I really want to build a tiny home. So like my plan... a portable one or... Yeah, I would, I'd build it on the platform that it can be moved. Mm-hmm. But the premise is to kind of get the van thing out of my system where I can like move quickly and then go further because I go down a lot of like dirt roads with potholes that I'm not going to be for sure. You'd like wreck your home. Right. So get that out of my system and then maybe graduate to like maybe a school bus conversion for a bit. And then from there, like a tiny home, like buy some land. The American dream. dream. (laughs) New Zealand. Maybe. I don't know. They've been having a lot of earthquakes, but it would be, it would be a great place to plant one. But yeah, I mean the cool thing with that is like you can live somewhere for a few years and then have your whole home with you and like move everything in it and move it to a new location. And something kind of true. If you want more space, you can get the expandable ones, but I've also seen people who do two and then they have like a patio and like a, a roof that connects. Oh, that seems yeah. so obvious, but it's like just get two. Yeah, just get two. That actually makes a lot of sense. Like you can just start building your house. A compact. It's like Legos. Like yeah. Legos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, like I'm you're just not connect to these two. You're yeah. not confined to like whatever your house was already built as. Right. Like you can just add on as you need it. Right. You can do anything you want. Have you seen the, sky's the below Earth ships? Yes. Oh yeah. That Those that are cool. that is so completely non-portable but that is so my speed like, like the I, stuff that's built in the ground yeah it's it's With so, natural material it's like 50 like percent yeah. in 50 percent out so it's like mm-hmm. and, and then it. it's covered with like dirt and stuff and kind of built in with uh ventilation and stuff yeah. i that that's totally hobbit life <laughs> like that's absolutely hobbit, <laughs> life. hobbit life i life. love that so if you did when you imagine a tiny home and uh do you mm-hmm. imagine like a prefab or something you just build from scratch I guess it really depends on like, you know, where I'm at in my life because after building like the first version of my van, I was so fed up with, cause I have this vision, like a very clear vision of what I want. And then I know my abilities and then I know that I can't make it happen. So I was getting so frustrated with myself and I feel like that would just translate in a bigger way in the tiny home build. So I think what I'd want to do is like design it and then have someone kind of professionally build it. So maybe do like a bit of a prefab that I renovate or change things I want. I think it's realistic. It's a lot to take on. Oh yeah. And you know, it's already pretty cool and ballsy to even get into that. Like as an actual plan, you shouldn't pressure yourself to do it in like this, like, uh, like as if it's, you know, creating a Halloween costume or something and you have to (laughs) build the whole thing from scratch. Like it's okay. It's okay to use plans that already exist guys. (laughs) Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Totally. And it's funny because even in the van life community, um, there's kind of like these cliques of like people, there's like the people who live in the VWs and there's like the, the jocks, the, the nerds, <laughs> the wastoids, <laughs> the people Sorry. that live in the Mercedes, <laughs> but yes. And then I guess there's like the, my group of people that lives in like the Ford transits or like the Dodge ones. So it's like the middle class. We're like the the middle class van lifers. <laughs> hey, those, those, those Fords and Dodges will last like, 
forever. Yeah, forever. And then there's this other group of people who like build everything themselves, and they're all like, "Oh, you didn't build yours yourself." <sighs> there's but. a snob in every <laughs> neck of the world. Every like, there's community. nothing that is free <laughs> of snobbery. Community. Yeah, but I think you should like if there's some if you know what your skill set is, like that's a like a good quality, like knowing what you're good at, knowing what you're not good at, and. You know, you're giving someone a job by doing it. And if it, you're better off, like, working to save up money to pay someone else to build it, that's going to be, like, better quality. Yeah, of like, course. You should do that. Have you have you ever heard of, um, of like, imposter uh, vagabonds? No. What is like, this? Uh, so... Oh, like a rich person who will... Something like that. Okay. So in my, in my exploration of YouTube and of, like, the kind of tiny home travel life thing um i've i've seen like some comments and like some some threads on reddit about how some of these youtubers who are like travelers nomads are actually doing it for like youtube production oh or like fake fake they're yeah faking they're not that lifestyle exactly for the, for the followers to get to on be an exactly an to be an influencer yeah. Yeah. yeah i have heard about this yeah it's like do you think it's do you think it's real I mean, I've never met someone who, I guess you wouldn't meet them on the road. Right, because they'd, be, they'd be faking it. Yeah, they would just go out and take a picture and they'd then be go shooting, back to the hotel. They'd be shooting on location. <laughs> right, right, that's right. true. I mean, that's the thing, is like, I've met a lot of people. Okay, there's this new girl who just popped up. You might have heard of her on your searches, Janelle Eliana. She's considered the fastest growing YouTuber of like all time right now. Really? She popped up like two months ago and like within two videos had 1.5 million subscribers. Holy crap. Yeah. And so she lives in a van. And the whole premise is that um, she's lived in her van for two years prior to ever posting this YouTube video. And um, she's young. She's 21. She lives in one place, like in, in California, in L.A. And then, yeah, so all of these people are attacking her saying, you don't, this is all fake. Like, this is all some kind of scheme. And I don't know. I, I'm of the mind that... I don't know. I think everyone's doing things for different reasons. It's not like some people maybe do live in their vans part time. Some people, um, I wouldn't call them like fake for doing mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Like, so yeah. what? Right. Yeah. Like who, what is it? How does it affect? Why do you have you? to be like, full time or part time? Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it sounds like the difference is just in, um, and I've never seen any of her content, but like, just like how she represents it. So if she were to claim I live in this 24 hours a day and all year round, and then it turned out that she didn't, I could see someone being like, Oh, she's lying. Yeah. But if she never, if she's just like, this is something I like and I enjoy it. And it's like a part of my life, but never actually claims to like fully 100% be committed to it. It's like, it's just a, uh, someone with a hobby, I guess. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Right. But yeah, I, I guess I could see the problem with someone just full on lying. Yeah. No, yeah. there's, yeah, there's definitely a problem with that. But I don't like people who, yeah, lie. Just don't misrepresent yourself. Yeah, just don't miss, yeah, be authentic. Yeah. Like, whatever. Be authentic. Just be, be authentic. you. <laughs> be honest enough. <laughs> it's, it's real easy to shoehorn that into pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> it will never get old. Uh, ever. <laughs> ever. I've had people accusing me of, like, you get a lot really? of trolls on YouTube. So I've, it's Well, weird. you did sleep in in Park Slope last night, so I did. I think I've, you're officially for alive. Five days <laughs> I've been sleeping in Park Slope, not in Full my Full time, my ass. Wow. <laughs> this coastal elite. <laughs> so on my friend's couch. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I've gotten trolls on YouTube that say everything, like anything and everything you can think. Not just like judgment, also like scary, threatening like things. Really? So, people are terrible. Yeah, people are really <laughs> terrible. And um, I've gotten, not like, actually received things like that. Have I've you? gotten like rape threats and murder threats. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so rape internet's an awful place. It's it's scary. And so I got to the habit where I don't read my comments as much now, which is sad because like 99% of them are really nice. Yeah, but that 1% right. is haunting. Yeah, it is. It's not it's even very 1%. It only really takes one, right? Yeah, it's just one of those. And Ugh. you're like, because then you're like, what can they, f it's, my van's pretty obvious too, you know? And it's like, you don't know, like these people can, I try yeah. to, that's another safety thing I should tell everyone if you're going to be traveling in a van. Like you definitely don't post your location when you're in your location. Like unless. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Hide your license plate. Yeah, yes and no. Like mine's like a novelty plate, so everyone knows it. It's like oh, it's advertised. It? It's Casper. It's the name of my van, okay. Casper. Uh, you got that's cute. That's amazing. So no one else took that before. Okay, you? it's Casper oh, three shit. because okay. someone took Casper, Casper one, and Casper two. What hey. about Casper with a three instead of an E? I tried that. I tried every that, variation oh, really? you could think of. C four S P three R. Okay, I didn't try that. <laughs> you should have called Brian. <laughs> He's got the codes. You know. <laughs> How many countries would you say you've visited? Uh, 51 countries. Oh, that sounds very spe specific. <laughs> it's a specific number. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a goal of hitting every country? I did in, when I started, but I kind of more feel a little bit more laid back on that. That's like one of the big things that's changed since I've lived in the van. I've just really learned how to go slow. And you guys can probably relate living in New York, but I just felt really caught up in the rat race. And my whole mentality, like all my goals were very like fast paced as well and um maybe a little unhealthy unrealistic yeah unhealthy unrealistic i was i so i just met up with my friend the other day i'm like trying to catch up with people i'm in the city and she asked me like what is the biggest like lesson i've learned on the road and like what's changed the most about me like what's different in my life now and i felt like um just in thinking about that um i don't think about that a lot but it's kind of forced me to just sort of reflect on the last few years and i've realized we kind of touched on it earlier, but just this idea of like slowing down and, but like in the bigger sense, like I think we're, we're all forcing ourselves to be on these like very rigid timelines that are like socially imposed um, because of our culture, because of what we see our friends doing on social media and their highlight reels and we're comparing our lives to them and then putting all this like pressure on ourselves. And I think the thing that I've learned the most just from being on the road is just um, letting go of all that and like how much better you feel, how much better of a person you are, how much better energy you put back into the universe and then in turn receive. Um, but you don't have to like live in a van to do that. Just kind of practice mindfulness and like realize that we're all on our own journey, but also you should, uh, I think it's important to not have a life that you hate. Like if you're complaining about every aspect of your life, like there's something going wrong take control take control yeah do yeah. do something about the things that you don't like that you have control over and then let go of the things that you can't control and just go for what you want because life is short i like that so <laughs> anna if someone wanted to go to spin the globe project and you know read all about your life and your travels and everything you've got what's like a good article uh to start with do you have a favorite Ooh, that's a good question um hmm actually yeah, so on if you go to spintheglobeproject.com and just click on about and scroll to the bottom, I have kind of like if you're new to the blog, like here like the top things that I think you should look at. 
Um, but basically, they're just kind of like the reason why I got into van life, like in a more elaborate sort of in-depth personal um, explanation and like um, some other things like how I make money on the road, like very well explained. And then uh, things like that, like anything you might want to know or how to how I traveled the world, like my 10 top travel hacks, like on a budget, things like that you can find there. So awesome. And if someone wanted to support your mother's campaign, where would they go? They would go to French for AZ, four is F-O-R, um, frenchforaz.com, and then there's a giant donate button on the top right corner. Awesome. And a French, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. 